Hello and welcome to On Integrity. My name is Ella and I'm a third year biological natural science student. And my name is Temi and I'm a third year psychological and behavioural science student. And you're listening on CAM FM. Episode four. How four. are we here? This is, Goodness. I never, no, I did. I'm not going to say I didn't know we were going to get here because I did. But also, <laughs> like, look at us. Look at us. Honestly, Who I'm thought? so excited. Yeah. So, yeah, last week we kind of talked about the figures in the past of being historically excluded and how being not taught about these figures, how that impacts uh, scientists and mm-hmm. young people today. And today we kind of shift it to today and we talk about why underrepresentation at like a professor level or an academic like teaching level, how that impacts um, us as students yeah. and also the kind of barriers that even once you've been inspired, once you've taken up a scientific um, degree, the barriers mm-hmm. which are then presented to you as you want to go further if you want to stay in academia. Um, yes. So, yes. Sir. I'm so, excited. Should we, you know, as usual, start off by reading the paragraphs from the speech? Yeah. Okay, let's go. This lack of recognition of people of colour is also seen in current research in academia today. In a recent paper, it was found that despite students from underrepresented groups innovating more than their white counterparts, their contributions were disregarded and were less likely to earn them career benefits. This may explain why we see an unequal representation in high positions in science. The legacy of science's problematic past is reflected in the makeup of the staff and students at this university. In 2019, black, Asian and minority ethnic individuals made up 13.8% of staff at Cambridge. Although improving, this figure is consistently lower than the, than the average across the Russell Creep universities each year. However, these figures do not show the whole picture. Institutions often present BAME figures as opposed to the breakdowns for individual ethnicities, hiding differences in the representation between ethnic groups. For example, as of 2019, Black or Black British, African and Caribbean individuals only represented 0.8% of staff at the university. Statistics are important, but what we cannot put into numbers is the everyday experience of students from Black and other underrepresented backgrounds. Many of you will not understand the feeling of being one of the only people of colour in your lecture, or the impact of not having a single non-white lecturer in two years, or feeling like you're sticking out in a space, whether that be an interview, supervision or internship. Before coming to Cambridge, I was lucky enough to be ignorant to these feelings. In school, my teachers were from all ethnicities, backgrounds and cultures. I was warned it would be different here, but this is not what I expected. In my year, there are three black students studying natural sciences out of 430 individuals. This is not only the reality of current black science undergraduates, but the image being presented to young black people everywhere. Got a little deep at the end. like Oh, yeah. Got personal. Emotions, yeah. But it's funny, right? Because the speech, like most of it's like, I don't know, it's, 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 it's obviously like got emotions throughout, but it's like yeah. really factual. And then I feel like that paragraph kind of takes it to a personal level. But I think that's what we're trying to do today. Like, yeah. Like, as we say, statistics are great and everything, but, um, yeah, we need to also think about, like, experience, you know? Yeah, because you know? That, that, that's the reality. We live it, it every is. day. About to live it for another eight weeks, you know? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I actually can't wait to go back, but... Yeah. Same. It's another story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I think, first, we should address, like, what we talked about in the first group the first paragraph rather about like moving up the career ladder and even when you've kind of been inspired when you've got the undergraduate degree whatever when you've chosen research as your career there's certain difficulties that people from people who are underrepresented ethnicity wise in science that face different difficulties to those who Mm -hmm. aren't underrepresented and we found like a really good paper that um kind of looked at this and it's really recent actually 2020 Oh, good. And it's the one we talked about in the paragraphs. I know, right? Like, what's the word? Like, modern research, not modern. Um, you know, it's always good to have talk about papers that are like, up to date recently. Up to date. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, yeah, it was called the diversity innovation paradox in science. Um, and the idea that they kind of 
found was despite students from underrepresented groups innovating more than their white male counterparts, their contributions were disregarded and were less likely to earn them career benefits. Oh, oh the thing is, like, I, I, it's like being black in a space like that, you're just so conscious that you are black and like in life anyway, you have to work so much harder to get half as far and it just having statistics back up the experience felt just explains a lot it 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 makes me like personally it makes me feel like I'm not crazy if that makes sense that why are these people getting recognition and I'm doing not even to sound like arrogant or anything but like I'm genuinely doing more work and better work and I'm still not getting the same recognition so true and yeah like this paper talks about like as you said like the statistics behind it but then there's some things you just can't explain like how Mm -hmm. like people address you and things like that or exactly certain attitudes or certain microaggressions um which are kind of actions that might happen on an everyday basis which are embedded in prejudice but you can't Mm -hmm. often call them out directly as being racist because Mm -hmm. um like it's not always explicit and I think, educate the people oh thank you <laughs> thank you um it's mad because with all the um like in the wake of the protests um and everything yeah. people have been really trying to pick up on these kind of microaggressions a lot more which previously i feel like people would be like oh like shut up like what are you going on about <laughs> like you're just being over dramatic pulling out the race card i hate that term mm, my gosh <sighs> but yeah so the kind of the idea of the paradox what they're trying to say is that um well here we go i'm going to read what they said because they say it better than i can ever explain. <laughs> um diversity breeds innovation yet underrepresented groups that diversify organizations have less successful careers within them um so it's it's the kind of thing like as we talked about a little bit last time mm-hmm. diversity is good like having diversity makes academia excel literally literally like there's there's no other way about it because if everybody thought exactly the same even if we're not even talking about like racial or or gender diversity just diversity of thought is Mm. what has allowed science to grow so then having now okay different racial ethnic or ethnic experiences or or gender experiences can only make the pot sweeter you know like 100 percent. i just i don't get it yeah, they found this in the paper because they, they also looked at that as well. They said that um, because, like, their findings were that historically, like, we're not just saying this, this is what they found. Historically, yeah. underrepresented groups often draw relations between ideas and concepts that have been traditionally missed or ignored. And, oh, um, wow. Yeah, and they said that we found, they did statistics, okay? We're not, this is not just observation. There's, there's p-values in here. I'm looking at <laughs> p-values. Wow. My my department will be impressed. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> We find that more students of underrepresented genders, P less than 0.001, mm-hmm. or races, P less than 0.05, in their discipline, are more likely to introduce novel conceptual linkages, like i.e. like new links between things. And it's what you're saying, diversity of experience can only be a good thing. It can never be a negative thing. You know? Exactly. Like the amount of times I've heard in my two years of Cambridge, oh my gosh, I never thought about it like that. And like that is that is what growth in knowledge is. Me, ex- my experience, linking it to something else that will now enlighten you, and then you can use what you know, and then we can make something beautiful. I don't, I don't see why they're it, like so opposed to it. And it, the thing is, it's not obviously, you know, like conscious. It's like because it's just built into these systems hmm. that I think they're almost limiting themselves unconsciously because they don't really know what's going on and I think there has to be more efforts to combat that and 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 give the right recognition and praise to the people like we spoke about last week yeah and like I was going to bring up later but you've like kind of brought me onto a little point that I want to talk about is the idea of like subconscious bias yeah you probably know more than me like psychology and everything (laughs) but my idea is like I don't know, in interviews and stuff or mm-hmm. when you're just talking with someone or listening to a speech, you're more likely to relate 
and like like someone who look like maybe not looks like you or, or is it backgrounds I'm not sure in in terms of like for example role models are really important for human growth and understanding and we're more likely to probably pay attention to somebody who does look like you whether that be gender race and if you have a combination of all of them even better because you you can literally (laughs) you can see yourself in them and that makes their information more susceptible to you and like that like for example um in my little get to know the hosts I mentioned how I had my first ever black um female lecturer this year for sociology not even in the psychology department sociology monica amazing woman um and literally that first lecture i felt like crying like the choke in the throat the eyes watering i obviously didn't start blubbering in the middle of the lecture hall but it just was an overwhelming sensation of wow she's like leading her field teaching me about something I never even thought about and explaining it so clearly so compassionate just I'm literally fangirling right now but that was like I completely a, understand it's like a moment in time it like is. I won't ever forget that moment that like the emotion the the actual scene what I was feeling was all there purely because I could relate to somebody and see somebody in that position and oh I just it's just unfair that not everybody not everybody will get that experience in their academic career especially Mm -hmm. at historically white institutions honestly the day that I get like a black lecturer in like ecology or something will be a great day let me see I'm hoping that for you it's I know it's not going to come this year like I already know but you never know they might surprise you Twitter will fulfill my needs at the moment because I literally no it does it does I literally came on Twitter like um like December last year yeah and it's really expanded like my knowing of these black ecologists conservationists like I follow all of them and I'm like it's so nice because even though it's obviously virtual just being able to like like what they're doing and retweet their work and and just hear about it makes me feel like okay they're out there they are out there like they are and um, they exist yeah. one day i'll get to like meet them or something and be a fangirl oh no you won't be a fangirl you'll be one of them oh well let's manifest yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> so yes we went mad off topic we only talked about half of the paradox the other half <laughs> of the paradox right so yeah. the first half is that diversity breeds innovation but then the second half is that even though it's breeding innovation we see that those underrepresented people are not receiving the average career benefits than Uh those that are overrepresented in the group. So say you've got like, it might be like one black person in the group and loads of white people, even though on average, we see people from underrepresented groups, i.e. the black person innovating more. We don't see them receiving the correct career benefits um, alongside the other white people in the group, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the way they did this is it's a really good, it's a really massive study actually. They looked at the near complete population of um, 1.2 million US doctoral recipients between 1977 and 2015. Oh God. So, and followed their careers into publishing and faculty positions. It was a really long-term thing, right? Um, massive. And they used text an- analysis and machine learning you know, I love some machine learning. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> Meet my squid. Um, to, answer, <laughs> to answer a series of questions. So how did they detect scientific innovation? Um, and that was through detecting for like novel words, I think, in the speech. Yeah. I don't want to, you guys can read it. I don't want to say it wrong or anything. But I think they looked at novel words in their um, papers, things like that. And like made mm-hmm. linkages bet- to um, new and original topics. And they asked whether underrepresented groups were more likely to generate these innovations and are they sufficiently adopted and rewarded by the scientific community? Um, So yeah, they found that these novel contributions are often devalued and discounted. So even though they're making these, these, putting these new ideas out there, they're often taken up less by other scholars um, and they less impactful despite them being new and original oh Um, goodness 
And this, in turn, would then go on to explain the underrepresentation at higher levels. So even though they're in there, even though they're doing great things on average, mm-hmm. it's not getting the sufficient rewards. And, yeah. I don't I know think... what to say. Like, it's just that it kind of shows, like, what we were talking about last week, like, what trailblazers mm-hmm. have been missed out because mm-hmm. because they've not been given the sufficient award for their new innovation. Exactly. Um, and how this has, like, a catalytic effect and and that like by not providing people with a a accurate reward for the work that they're doing it demotivates them naturally they're not going to feel like academia is a place for them to a point where there's probably going to be a cap to where they go because either they they get tired of it they can't afford it they don't have the mental energy to deal with it leaving a cycle of okay the people who are now going to be reviewing are still going to constantly be white men purely because they've been demotivated and 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 not accurately rewarded for everything they've been doing and like i just think it's kind of disheartening because Mm -hmm. as we mentioned last week it's not our job in life to fight constantly you'll have to push through but also it's like there's such a fine line of okay do I sacrifice basically not receiving validation that I deserve for the greater benefit of possibly getting Mm. somewhere or Mm. I just do what's best for me in this moment purely because you don't think the system's going to change because I think the only way the system is going to change if they have a good hard reflection of themselves and why there's only one particular look of these people in these higher positions Mm -hmm. you know and literally just picking up on what you're saying about the motivation, mm-hmm. it kind of links into the microaggression idea that yeah, the, these tiny things that happen on a day-to-day basis, there's, it's not likely going to be one day when you're like, right, that is like the end. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm exactly. leaving. It's going to be little things that add up, which will be internalised. They won't mm-hmm. be like you thinking, uh, this is systemic racism. They'll be you thinking, well, I'm not good enough then. You know, I'm exactly. not being rewarded. I'm not good enough. And it's so, and that's why these long-term studies are so important. Is because showing the progression from student to professor to whatever mm-hmm. really shows these trends in place. And it's like it's just saying that, yeah, it's mad because you wouldn't like microaggressions and stuff would not mm-hmm. be enough usually for someone to go right. I'm done. But these things over long term, which make lead to you concluding I'm not good enough exactly might be the thing that makes you leave so and i think you meant that whole thing about the the long-term study is that also like from 1977 to 2015 you would think the social climate would be completely different right mm-hmm. so that gives you another level of insight of okay what was society saying at the time and how does that influence people's general views for example to uh black people okay, how does that influence their own internal biases and how does that come through in academia? But the fact that we're seeing basically consistent trends from what you would have hoped would be a completely different time in 1977 to 2015, maybe there wasn't enough difference because we're seeing the same issues today, but mm-hmm. I think that that level of, okay, can we blame the person? Can we look at society and see how they're influencing it? But clearly if there's a shift in society and the same thoughts are still there, it's just it could just be the people or like they're they're, 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 they're hoarding onto their their understandings from when they were younger yeah because like i guess we haven't really discussed why like we've Mm -hmm. discussed the trends but i guess we can only talk about our personal our personal opinions on particularly why they're not being valued enough and i definitely think probably subconscious bias has a thing to do with it yeah Obviously, we talked about, like, experience and growing up and school and everything like that, and that will have an impact on the work you're producing. But if you're literally producing as good as anyone else and not getting recognised, then it's clearly on the receiving end that there's a problem going on. And subconscious bias, thinking that um, people from certain groups, um, like, not believing what they're saying, not thinking that it's credible, things like that, whether it's conscious or not, it does seem to be happening if this is the case that they're not being rewarded Mm -hmm. sufficiently but i think um 
we can't always say like it must be down to these kind of things like even though yeah. I definitely think that's probably a big part of it yeah. there are like the other reasons and the next paper that I found does kind of address another reason why um people from underrepresented backgrounds aren't being rewarded um, yeah at the same level and it's called it's called topic choice contributes to the lower rate of nhi awards to african-american slash black scientists um uh, so again i'm just going to go ahead and read the little bit of the abstract so you guys can yeah. see what's going on um despite efforts to promote diversity in the biomedical workforce there remains a lower rate of funding of national institutes of health ro1 applications submitted by mm-hmm. african-american slash black scientists relative to white scientists um so they're saying that there's lower rates of funding um mm. received by black scientists to white scientists um in like the biomedical field um and they're what they found in their paper is actually that um black applicants tend to propose research on topics with lower award rates yeah um like for example, they would uh, propose research on average at about like community and population level, whereas um, on ge- in general, the applications that would receive the most awards would be those that are more fundamental and like me- mechanistic investigations. Hmm. And they did find that um, topic choice accounted for over twenty percent of the funding gap. So in their minds, like that's that was the reason, and it and it was like that's what the statistics said, I guess. Yeah. But. <sighs> I feel like if with topics about you know community and population I think I mentioned this in last our last episode as well like I think those kinds of discussion about society and how they interact with science are just as important and I feel like there needs to be more incorporation and it's unfortunate that it's seeming like black applicants can see that importance as well but the, the funding bodies aren't necessarily seeing that because they can see something more tangible with numbers do you get what i mean i feel like mm. the subjectivities of it's a very because science wants to be objective and 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 have that as their identity but subjectivity is what brings a beauty out. i say it and i'll continue to preach it because that is if i was to ever go into academia what i would want to bring because mm. that is reality it's always going to be reality and like disregarding that kind of won't allow allow us to progress as a community we can progress as you know in technology and all that but as a community using that technology how how do those two come together without focusing on the actual community i agree and it's just like i'm not like obviously this has probably just been an average over loads of projects not like specific topics but why aren't these topics like these topics are not chosen just because like of a fickle reason right like exactly these topics are going to be chosen by people because of like their experiences and the, yeah. what the kind of academics they went through and every stage will influence which project you will end up doing right exactly you know what i mean like not like being deep or anything but like your choice is influenced by experience so i think we need to question why the experiences of some people that's led to their project choice is going to be giving them is less desirable when it comes to awards and things like that and yeah because yeah i don't know like why is as you're saying like why is one type of topic or one type of science um more eligible for funding than another i think that's definitely something to question yeah as you said it's probably just a big average done here but i think it would be cool to see like a deeper study into which um they probably have done them like which topics receive more awards and everything and then yeah. who's more likely to be encouraged to do those type of topics because i do think that will have an impact on who is receiving the funding yeah for sure so yeah we've talked about how like topic choice um likely has an impact on um like who receives awards and things like that but i think mm-hmm. we can even go earlier than that right and think mm-hmm. about how who teaches you who you're surrounded by um in school, in like university and things like that, how that also is going to influence young people's decision exactly. and the kind of cycle that goes on. So I think I noticed something really interesting that they talked about in the Us and STEM podcast with mm-hmm. um, Ellie Bladen and she had um, Charles Omega on, um, the Pangolian scientist. Nice. And he was talking about how like, it's basically a cycle. If P- 
people who are supervisors are not esper- experts um, on areas that black people want to study, um, like such as like maybe African perspectives on uh-huh. maybe ecology or conservation or something else or population or community level studies, if that's what they uh-huh. want to do. They won't encourage that research. Like exactly. if your supervisor is not an expert in it, then you're they're never going to be able to help you um, win awards with your research and win exactly. that kind of thing. Um, so those areas aren't studied as much therefore no one's going to become an expert in them and then it goes back and it's then the younger people aren't going to be able to be taught um, about that and encouraged so I think we're talking about topic choice topic choice well who is allowing them to choose topics that they're interested in what what who is going to be helping them because if there's no one there to help then of course it's not going to be winning awards or winning funding things like that so I definitely think that's where you can't just be saying, putting the blame on people, the scientists themselves who are choosing to uh-huh. say these kind of things. Because them doing it is likely going to have a great impact on those who, those, we said it, like innovating in the first paper. If they're innovating, if they're doing topics that aren't really studied, then that's going to have an impact when other young scientists want to do it, when they um, are being taught by them. Exactly. And that's where kind of put the blame on the university level or the institutional level, where people need to be actively encouraging black scientists actively mm-hmm. encouraging underrepresented ethnic minorities to be professors, to be academics, to be teachers. Exactly. Because that's the only thing that's going to break the cycle, going from the top and being able to educate people there. Because there are people out there. There are people that are experts and mm-hmm. you've got to make it a place that they want to come and study. Because exactly. if you're not caring about these issues, then no one's going to want to be able to study at your institution because exactly. they know that they don't care for people like you. Exactly. So yeah, a cycle is basically what I was trying to say in that rant. <laughs> <laughs> Very good rant though. <laughs> but like, I completely agree with you. I think it's just having, like, feeling comfortable, especially if you're going to be doing research for like probably over five years, right? Like, I don't know what the average time is, but like, let's say five years minimum, right, in an institution. You want to feel like you're welcome. You want to feel comfortable. You want to feel accepted because in a in a sphere like academia where you already feel singled out, you want to make sure that the institution you go to in comparison to other institutions that may make you feel welcome allow has, has at least active efforts towards that. And I'm not saying like, for example, Cambridge isn't because I know there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. There are. Um, but I just feel like to us and people who like who don't know that I think there needs to be more public work towards it especially when it comes to hiring staff so those staff who are out there and qualified and and doing such amazing research get the recognition and then can inspire us you know and and maybe encourage a couple more students to think as academia as a possible route for them rather than okay I'm done with education off into the typical corporate or standard working job, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, as you said, statistics um, about staff and looking at the staff ratios and things like that is really important because mm-hmm. it obviously is increasing. I'm not, I'm not going to say it isn't increasing. I'm not going to say that they're not doing amazing programmes, but if we're looking at a snapshot in time today, yeah. like, it just purely, like, really isn't good enough. Um, I had a look at the equality and diversity information report um that they release each year so they actually have a report where they put out the different ethnicity breakdowns of like different staff different departments no actually i don't think it's departments that would be (laughs) crazy very scary very scary (laughs) (laughs) but loki i think they need to do that to put departments to shame i think they need to do that sorry guys i think they need to do that because it matters it really does science and already gone off what i was supposed to talk about so the staff table right so i was looking at um so they had like a table with the university employees um and and overall of 87.1 percent who disclosed their ethnicity 13.8 percent were bame um which is an increase of 11.8 percent from 2017 this is actually the 2018 report but yeah okay i mean 13.8 percent right yeah that I mean, rough 2%, you know, it's all right. It's progress. Oh, an but... Increase, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, 13%, 2% increase. And I think some people would kind of jump in here and go, well, 
if you look at like the proportions in the UK, I'm not going to look this up because I'm not going to satisfy people that talk like that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, people always say, people always say to me, whenever I try and talk about this, like, oh, if you look at the percentage in the UK, like, isn't it like representative? Like, <sighs> okay, I'm sorry. This is an international university. This is exactly. An international university. Exactly. This is not, we can't just keep saying, oh yeah, just look at England statistics, England. What? Mm-hmm. Even if you look at England statistics, you need to be looking specifically on which areas are receiving the most, this is both like applicants and staff, mm-hmm. which areas are receiving the most applicants? Because if you take it over the whole country, exactly. then yeah, maybe you might see something, but you need to really be specific. When, we need to have integrity when you're talking about yes. um, your statistics because you can't just do an average across the whole population in England. You need to take into account which researchers come from different areas and exactly. look at those trends because that's significant, okay? Very significant. Yeah, and also the idea that we say bame, bame, bame all day long, right? Um, this is often a kind of shield to hide behind to not mm-hmm. actually account for the individual differences in ethnicities. So, for example, the largest BAME group represented were Chinese, um, mm-hmm. who accounted for 3.8% wow. of those who disclosed their ethnicity. If you look specifically at Black or Black British African or Black or Black British Caribbean, mm-hmm. you see that for Black or Black British African, 0.6%. What? For Black or Black British Caribbean, 0.2%. So you're saying that BAME is 13.8%, but you're not saying that Black is only 0.8%. This is why I just really think that the BAME term is so counterproductive. Because it's like you see us as one homogenous group when we're not. When even when you look at the BAME figures, as Ella just basically described, there's such huge disparities. And like, why is there not work on trying to make it as fully representative as possible? You know, like, okay, there's 0.6% of black or black British African, which I identify with. The likelihood of me coming, like seeing them when I'm studying is so low. But apparently the BAME figures are going up. But how am I meant to feel a sense of identity, a sense of community from the academic staff, you know? Mm. And that's why I do appreciate reports like this, because it really does expose the differences. But when they say the figures on the news or whatever, we don't do the bad figures, do we? Exactly. We don't do that. And then, oh, when it gets personal, when we talk about student statistics. Yeah. I've got it up. I've got the file up. We're gonna, we're gonna go. We're gonna come on. The comb. And yes. Through, okay. So as well as presenting a report on the staff statistics each year of ethnicity, mm-hmm. they also do a table on student applicants. Mm-hmm. Um, they do it on loads of things. They do it on like what school they came from, like the like percentile, da 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 da, like all the yeah. different um, like parameters and stuff. But of course, we'll be going da- right down to. Applicants, offers, and acceptances by ethnicity. Nice. That's what this podcast is about. Okay? Yes. So, and you know what? We're even going to not talk about, we're going to go straight to the sciences, okay? Because mm-hmm. that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you look at, if you guys have got it up, you can look at it yourself. <laughs> Page 30. So we're actually, I think we're looking at our year, um, yeah. the 2018 admission cycle. So yeah. people who are in going into third year like us. Um, yeah, so we'll go, we'll talk about the statistics and unfortunately they only provide like the home acceptances, the ethnicity for the home acceptances. Yeah. So you can't actually look like for across the whole year. For example, with Natsuki, there's 430 home acceptances, but I think it's like 600 and like six or something for the whole year. So bearing in mind, this is only a subset of the information, but yeah, for example, in my year, I've got it straight up here. Yeah. Like we just said in the speech, um, there were three acceptances for black people in 2018 out of 430 home acceptances. What the hell? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at psychology, which is under sciences, um, and I'm seeing less than three. And you don't even put like the actual or figure or even zero. I know it's obviously not zero because I'm here, but like that's just so disheartening because you see it in lectures and stuff but like 
yeah, yeah. Seeing the figure that maybe, okay, there's somebody who just doesn't come to lectures. Or, do you get what I mean? Like, they could potentially be people you just don't see or when I don't mm. go to lectures or whatever. Like, <laughs> what? You don't go to lectures? I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm ashamed. <laughs> um, and it's just like seeing less than three. And the thing is, for me, it's less than three in almost every category apart from white. Less than three in black, less than three in Asian, less than three in mixed, and le- and less than three in other. But there were forty five white people who were accepted. Eight point two percent boom. Literally, I mean, how how is that uh, the percent? It's the lowest percentage of all of the sciences. Yeah, that is insane. Whoa! And if we talk about like again, like disparities are not actually so. For example, in Natsuki, it says that there's twenty percent boom. Sorry, yeah. BME. Um, but then it says it's got 51 under the Asian category and it's got three under the black category. And then you've got mixed, which mixed can be like pretty Anything. much like so many different things. Which yeah. We're not even seeing the breakdowns there. Like it's hard to even take these figures as they are like. Exactly. You know, because they're not always showing the disparities. So, yeah. So, and I know a lot of people, when I kind of say this is they talk about like, who's applying they say like mm-hmm. well of course if less people apply there's going to be less offers and i yeah. do take that on and i take that on that that is a separate issue exactly but even um so yeah like a lot of people come and they say well yeah there's not going to be if there's not enough people are i kind of said that didn't i yeah i said it already yeah so yeah i'm going to literally just work it out now like the percentage acceptances yeah um to applications so there's 344 white acceptances, so yeah. divided by one, two, six, five. So that is there's a twenty seven percent acceptance rate. Look at that quick maths. For white oh yeah. It's all in my brain, obviously. Because, <laughs> you know, I am I'm sick at maths, okay. Yeah. Um, and then three divided by and there's an eight point three ex- percent acceptance rate for black applicants what the hell so when you come and tell me like um what about applications well i think that kind of figure says statistics says in it all and i'm i'm not saying that it's all to do with racism and it's all to do with like biases but i think a difference like that definitely has to be recognized you know what i mean exactly like i'm okay so now i'm looking at um home applicants right and like looking at the breakdown okay between like black british caribbean and black british africans and the difference even there is even mad like so um oh yeah there was a total of 400 applications from black or black british africans but a total of 40 for black or black british caribbean like like that just brings on the discussion of like okay before they even apply who's applying and like how do we merge that gap you Mm. know yeah because i literally was doing the maths and the maths is right here so (laughs) (laughs) um no the maths isn't there the maths i just did was for natural sciences the percentage acceptance rate for different ethnicities and the maths that we're looking like now in table 8.1 is the percentage acceptance rates for across all courses yeah if you look at the acceptance rate for black or black British Caribbeans across yeah. all subjects, it's a 17.5% acceptance rate. But then if you look at the acceptance rate for white applicants, um, you've got 24.7% acceptance rate. What and the there's hell? obviously various differences like across all the different groups. And exactly, there's always going to be like not exactly the same. I know that. But when you come and tell me like about applicants, well, I'm going to come with you for these kind of statistics because they are real and it's there that there's lower success rates for certain ethnic groups. Yeah. Um, and this obviously will have contextual factors, but it'll also have um, at the level of the interviewer as well. That mm-hmm. can't be denied, I don't think. I don't think um, so either. And that would be across loads of universities. I don't think we're not trying to like single out um, this university as such as just because we go here. And exactly. Our experiences. It's definitely... A kind of a problem that's going to be addressed across most universities in the UK at least mm-hmm. because it's been seen 
like everywhere and it's exactly. and then that's when you say science is particularly seen in science as well than yeah. other subjects because like you know when you go to like acs events and stuff mm-hmm. um so a lot of people from like hsvs or like yeah. those kind of subjects and when you talk about scientists like there's really rare to like find someone else um who's like of africa afro-caribbean descent that exactly. does a science subject exactly and like I think I noticed that like from like day one basically I was like, oh okay no no science no science no science calm everyone like does one person or something, and you kind of like just go and say you do that little like hi because you just feel like <laughs> so like welcome to see someone else that like looks like you in your lecture theater yeah chilly yeah this yeah it brings us on to like the experiences kind of mm-hmm. section we want to talk about right like yeah. our experiences in being an undergrad here and doing science um like okay so we all know i do psychology it's my identity um and (sighs) when i like psychology is not a big course like it's it's not like we fill up a massive lecture theater um but it's enough to notice oh i'm one of few you know like and and it's and it's it's kind of it's hard especially when all of your lecturers one tend to be white men or then next up is white women and like okay you're talking about all these different cultures and I'm like okay like and that's only in some elements and like I'm like but there's a whole realm that you haven't explored and it's like and that's when I'm talking about I'm actually studying like pbs papers not papers borrowed from other subjects and like i it's rare when we actually have that discussion but when it comes to like when i now because i took sociology papers every year i'm taking two this year and i feel like that's when i feel more free and more comfortable within myself because there's more discourse around race ethnicity culture and how they influence each other and maybe that could just be like sociology in general but with a field like psychology where it's so easy to implement things like that I don't understand why they're not like oh one time so like in what was it a levels and I did psychology a level obviously well not obviously but yeah and um we basically were learning about something like it had something to do with some culture right and it was kind of the first time I was exposed to like okay take a different perspective implement culture into your psychological thought and it was like oh yeah that piqued my interest and I was hoping because everyone tells you in uni you get to be completely free and you know you have so much freedom in what you can study but when your lecturers clearly are presenting a way of not being interested in that it kind of obviously you can do your own independent research but it's it limits how much you can go because there's nobody else there to guide you Mm. yeah like I can totally relate to that because Mm -hmm. yeah you kind of know what it's going to be like but then nothing kind of prepares you for the experience like exactly I just think like labs so we have like massive labs in first year and it's just like looking sitting in the sales lab with like I just know like 50 other people or something and just being like the only one I'm just sitting around like I feel so observed I don't know I don't know if that's correct or is it like or that was actually happening but I just feel like really watched and I just don't like it at all like (laughs) that horrible it's so normal though because like think about it's another layer of like imposter syndrome that we have to kind of go through Mm. like you're already worried am I even academically good enough and then like oh my gosh am I just good enough like period like I think there's not enough talk about that, like feeling confident within yourself and confident within your abilities and like just things that our white counterparts don't even have to think about in the aspect of, you know, being the only person of your race in that situation. Yeah. And yeah, because like you almost feel like everyone always says this, but it's really true. You always feel like you're kind of representing or whatever, like if you're Mm -hmm. like the only one, you're like right this is what they're gonna think all people like me are like and that is uh, so much pressure honestly I don't know if it's like it's probably not even like 
quite well founded but you just there's always the thought that comes across your head yeah you just think about that i guess and also i guess like we haven't even addressed like the kind of overt things that people exactly very true of color will be experiencing in these department like there's obviously so many cases of um things that people say um like open discrimination which i don't think is really productive for us to go into specific examples at different universities just because we don't want to come across like we're like attacking things i guess right yeah yeah um, i think but acknowledging the fact that it does happen it's not everything that's also covert and it explicitly happens to individuals and that's a sad reality yeah and like yeah not everything is like at a systemic level as as in like oh like topic choice or things like that or like or ingrained things sometimes people just outright have like stereotypes of groups of people and like say it and that will really affect as people yep. move up the ladder like like I remember what I like coming in first year like people would people there was one case where someone was like talking about you know like what subject what college and they were just like straight up you don't look like a Natsuki and Obviously, that could be for so many reasons. And I'm not saying it's one specific thing, but <laughs> yeah, it's always like where when you've got the whole like imposter syndrome going on anyway, and then you've literally exactly. met someone within the first ten seconds, they make the assumption that you don't look like someone that we should be studying that subject. It's like a bit mad. Like, what does a Natsuki even look like? Describe. Couldn't, well, like, probably could tell you <laughs> based on the lecture theatre, but. Anyway. <laughs> um nah it's weird it is weird like i i just i can't imagine because when we say oh it's a systemic thing it kind of removes responsibility from the actual Mm. individual people and there must be like some people are just inherently racist and they bring that to the workplace and they kind of both the individual and the system kind of work together because if the system kind of brushes these kind of situations aside it gives the individuals more comfortability to go along with pushing that kind of narrative forward yeah that's such a good point about recognizing that things can happen at a systemic level but just talking about that all day just takes yeah away from individual responsibility and exactly yeah i think having integrity at, at both those levels like the bias the subconscious biases that mm-hmm. people have and, and calling out people like when you hear the kind of things they say you know yeah it's so important um one like in the moment for that person of color or that underrepresented person to hear mm-hmm. someone actually c- calling it out that's not them because you know you don't as we don't exactly. always call out things all the time there's a lot of mental effort and pressure and then two mm-hmm. like showing this person that that's not really okay to say that that or think like that whether it's a comment made or exactly. something it's just yeah it's, it's like, really good to do that exactly but it's like as you said it's just tiring because there's just so much bureaucracy as well like there's so much paperwork you have to go through so many meetings to actually make a formal complaint mm which puts people off or like you don't want to go especially if it's someone senior in your department you don't kind of want to speak against them because well look at all the stuff they've done they take for some reason their academic work and merit over their actual being as a person like you can be racist and also do really good work do you get what I mean like it's just it's Mm off-putting when the system kind of pushes you back from actually wanting to openly address situations like that and also like you don't want to talk about these things i mean you don't want to we've literally made a podcast about it (laughs) well (laughs) but um you often don't want to talk about these things because or i don't anyway because i feel like i don't know if it'll like affect my career or whatever because Uh that's always what comes into my mind like you obviously don't want to complain about something or comment on something yeah in case someone's gonna have like a bad opinion or not want to employ you or something and that's a sad thought though like you shouldn't have to think like that do you get what i mean like it shouldn't be hmm do i talk about my lived experience and risk actually 
moving up or do I just keep quiet like that that just says a lot about like higher education institutions in general you know because I'm pretty sure you're not Mm. the only one like I doubt it do you get what I mean well I guess we'll see what happens after this podcast (laughs) you're gonna be one popping scientist focusing on marine life and I'm so ready for it regardless of who tries to stop you Ella girl you can't be stopped oh stop it (laughs) (laughs) and then you can you can you can do all your psychology and then then (laughs) learn about kids and stuff because we know you like psychology of kids right yeah there's so much we could talk about in regards to this topic and like you never know we might continue to talk about it on twitter or somewhere else because this is such a large aspect of our lives and so many other people's lives and i think Mm -hmm. then you never know because there's so many like scholarships and mentorships and all those kind of things all in like are added and people have issues with those and like Maybe there'll be another time where we discuss that, but um, I think well, yeah, that's today was just like the episode, t- right? Because yeah, next episode we're talking about like progression forward, like what can we put in place which is actually going to improve these problems that we kind of exactly highlighted in the last episodes. Yeah, what measures can we put in? What measures are we seeing being put in? I don't know, like storm exactly. scholarship, things like that that work that actually do work and can improve representation in science. And yeah looking at all the different things we've spoken about in episodes um one two four and taking aspects of that and how we can use this to move forward and improve science because we've said exactly. it today diversity is good diversity breeds exactly. innovation and therefore mm-hmm. we should be encouraging it thank you Preach, all right girl. so yeah that was episode four that was about um the problems that current students face um uh underrepresented students and yeah i really enjoyed talking about it so did i okay so thank you for listening yes thank you everybody we'll catch you here again on hammer fam see you later guys bye bye bye